Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Coming up on the Mark Divine Show. I think the stuff that we do on a day-to-day basis, we accidentally leaned into. Every team call we have, we reserve the last five to 10 minutes for gratitude. And gratitude is just shout outs for one another. Mark had a kick-ass podcast today. Gordon did an awesome job giving Jim a shout out. That gratitude at the end, a lot of time it's giving folks a shout out that scored the basket or had an assist. I think that gratitude ingrained into our culture, super important part of the cycle. Welcome to the Mark Divine Show. This is your host, Mark Divine. In this show, we discover, we dive in and discuss what makes the world's most inspirational, compassionate, and resilient leaders so courageous. We'll talk in depth to people from all walks of life, such as martial arts grandmasters, meditation monks, CEOs, military leaders, stoic philosophers, proud survivors, and even young entrepreneurs. In each episode, we'll take our guest's experience, turn it into actionable insights that you can learn and grow from and use to lead a life filled with courage and compassion. Today, I'm talking to three brothers. The DeSico brothers are all former D1 student-athletes who co-founded Super Coffee. Jordan, Jake, and Jim DeSico, they sought to solve a predicament that many college students face, which is getting jacked up on coffee. Following extensive dorm room testing, they built a better-for-you coffee called Super Coffee. This coffee has protein powder, MCT oils, and vitamins in it. Super Coffee is now the fastest-growing brand in the beverage space with a $500 million valuation, which is incredible. These three brothers, none of them had backgrounds in entrepreneurship or corporate beverages or brewing or coffee or anything. But since the launch of Super Coffee, they've become the number three bottle coffee brand behind Starbucks and Dunkin'. Guys, super stoked to have you here. You're coming from Austin, Texas. Thanks for your time. So identify yourselves. Who's Jake, who's Jordan, who's Jim? Yeah, so I'm Jimmy. I'm the oldest brother. Jake, I'm the middle brother. Hey guys, I am Jordan, the youngest brother here. Got it. So before we get into kind of the whole story about Super Coffee, by the way, which is exceptional, before I knew I was doing this, I've had the product. I love it. So it's cool to hear that you're coming on this show. But where did you guys grow up? Talk a little bit about your formative years, what the influence of your parents were on you, and also the relationship you guys had together as brothers. For sure, man. So we grew up in Kingston, New York, in the Hudson Valley, just two hours north of New York City. We're super close in age. Today, I'm 29. Jake's 28. Jordan's 26. Our parents had us at a young age. They had three kids by the time they were 25. Mom and dad were both Division I athletes, and they got into parenthood probably before they were ready to. And we always say they figured it out. Their, their background as athletes really prepared them to raise us with the right values of teamwork, being compassionate to those who are on your team, hustling through the line, sort of putting in the work that other people on the team aren't willing to put in. And right. we played all sports growing up. Our mom and our dad were oftentimes our coaches. Really? And the three of us, if we weren't playing one-on-one in the backyard, we were often on the same teams growing up as well. So we built a pretty strong chemistry throughout our childhood as athletes. Mm -hmm. A lot of that was due to the push and pull from mom and dad. Yeah. Off the playing field in the house, what was the environment like? Mom and dad disciplinarians or were they pretty free? I mean, do you guys get along? Or did you beat the shit out of each other? What was that like? We didn't fight too much. We competed a lot. There was always a game of one-on-one or something going on. They allowed us to make mistakes. My mom had a saying, she would sit us down and draw the line of like what was acceptable. 
show you where you were coming on that line of your behavior. Right. And she would use the analogy of you're getting too close to the bad side of the line, <laughs> which was great because you had to make the decision, right, of how do I get back to the right place on that line. Right. But, you know, they were young parents. They really forced us to follow our dreams with something, but believe in ourselves, I think was always something that our mother did. She was the type of mom that, you know, she would write a quote on the board. Well, before I think that became like mainstream in, in social media, there was always a quote of the week. She would always tell us, kick today's ass. Nice. She dropped us off even at elementary school. So I think, you know, the ideas of believing in yourself and starting your day with intention setting was something that she intentionally did and accidentally did because it wasn't as overt as, you know, be super intentional with what you're about to do. But, right. you know, go into the day optimistic, be kind and compassionate to others, but also be ready to compete and win the day. Oh, that's cool. So what about your dad? It sounds like your mom was quite a force. What was he like? Yeah, I think dad was also a force in his own right. He was a division one linebacker. So he instilled, you know, that competitive spirit early on. And one thing he always told us, you know, whether it be on the football field, baseball field or basketball court was be first in everything that you do. If you get a water break, sprint over to the water cooler. Oh, that's cool. And he was also a physical engineer. So he really cared about education as well. His classic quotes helping us during homework after school was measure twice, cut once. Right. He really wanted to make sure we focused on the details and did the little things right. You know, unfortunately, he uh, suffered a few injuries playing college football, a lot of concussions that led to some mental disabilities. Yeah, bummer. That certainly impeded our childhood for sure. It was not easy. They tried to understand what was wrong. It was really post-concussive disorder. Ultimately, that, that had an impact on his life. And even so, he powered through that to be the best father that he could be. And it showed us, look, like things are not always going to go perfectly or as planned, right? That was not the life that he'd planned or our mom had planned with him. And but he powered through that. He was always there at all of our games and pushed us to be better. So he was a great father for us as well. Not dead. Jordan's talking like he's dead. He's still alive and well. That's amazing. But, you know, a lot of people play football and even special operators. And I was a Navy SEAL. You probably know that, you know, deal with TBI or, you know, concussions. Are you all football players? I know at least one of you was. Jimmy, you played, right? Yeah, Jake and I played football. Jordan was basketball. And okay. I mean, we've never had, thank God, never been knocked out or any severe concussions. But playing football for 10 or 12 years growing up, every play, you're hitting heads with somebody. That's right. It's those little hits that add up. Same thing with the SEALs. Like, I haven't had a knockout concussion in the SEALs. But, you know, every time I shot a weapon, every time I blew something up, every time I parachute jumped, there was a micro trauma to the brain. And so now they're recommending that all SEALs active and actually getting out, do some sort of therapy. It's more preventative maintenance so that when you get into your 60s or 70s, you don't have the pre-onset of Parkinson's or neurological disorders that come with TBI. Every time this kind of comes up, I like to put it out there. So anyone who played football at the level you guys played in college or professional should get a brain scan and do some you know, electrostim therapy or something like that, just as preventative maintenance. 100%. Absolutely. Food for thought, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks, man. So your parents weren't entrepreneurs. You went to college probably. I know, Jimmy, you went to Wall Street. You probably weren't thinking you were going to be business founders, entrepreneurs. What was that like? Like going from thinking you're going to be, you know, probably making money on Wall Street or climbing the corporate ladder to suddenly you're just basically looking at this tabula rasa every day and trying to figure shit out. Yeah, man. And you and I share a similar experience. We both went to Colgate University and not much had changed from the time that you graduated till I did. Like right. the expectation was to get into finance or to real estate and make a lot of money. Pretty like, much. Right. For me, like 
I just did that because that was status quo. That wasn't what I was personally passionate about. And right. Colgate's a liberal arts school. They didn't really have an entrepreneurship program. So I didn't know what a startup was. I didn't know what a pitch deck was or anything like that. I knew that Jordan created something that he was excited about. He was still a student athlete at the time, and it was a better for you coffee to get him through his practices and his study sessions. And that was exciting. When he's passionate about something, it excites me. And it was more of solving a problem with right. my brothers rather than starting a business. You know, none right. of us have business backgrounds or business degrees. Right. But it's I not, think that's not true. I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. But no, the, the lessons learned as athletes empower us to do what we do yeah. on a uh, daily basis in terms of overcoming obstacles. Yeah. Yeah. Now I can see how they transfer to entrepreneurship, just like a lot of the special operations or the warrior athletes principles, you know, that are somewhat similar, you know, transfer to entrepreneurship pretty well. But of course, there's way more than that involved. And I'm going to get into that. But let's talk about a little bit about the origin story of Super Coffee, Jordan. I mean, what was that like? Like, how did that come about? And put us into your mind about how you created the whole formulation. Yeah, we've always been interested, you know, funny enough, back to our family roots, our uncle was a successful entrepreneur. So not directly, you know, our parents, but in the family and growing up, we would do lemonade stands and we'd sell gum and do things like that. So always had an itch for entrepreneurship. And when I got to campus my freshman year, we would have 5 a.m. basketball practices, which I loved. But what I didn't love was going to 8 a.m. class right after that. Right. I mean, I was pretty health conscious at the time, not as much as we are now, six years ago as a freshman. But I would not drink Red Bull, Monster, Starbucks, Frappuccinos with 40 grams of sugar. But unfortunately, that's all my school had to offer. Right. And when I saw that, I was like, hey, I'm not going to drink this stuff. So I started making my own. I'd wake up a little bit earlier at about 4.30, start making my own pre-made cold brew coffee with protein, just from the protein that they provided because I didn't have any money. To so it. you just like mix in protein powder into the coffee? Yeah, that's how I was starting it. I was like, this is great pre-practice. Yeah, it's great. Dude. I can also take it with me to class. And it worked. It was great. I was like, why isn't this available? I couldn't find it anywhere. But what I realized too was like, hey, we have a really demanding lifestyle here. We have 5 a.m. practices. Then we have class all day long. In between, we got to figure out a way to lift or come back and get shots up. We got to stay sharp. Then we're going to go out and party and then we're going to do it all over again, right? <laughs> of course, the partying part's really important. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was demanding. And what I realized was, look, what we put into our body is what we get out of it. And the fact that we don't have any healthy options is a travesty, especially on college campuses. So I put together a business case proposal because I was studying management, but again, I was only a couple months in. It was focused on food and beverage and why aren't there healthier options? And at the same time, I was tinkering with formulas in my dorm room as if I was an R&D scientist and I was using my teammates to give me feedback on the products. Right. Doing some of the foundational things that any business founder would do unintentionally, I was just doing them because to Jim's point, I was passionate about this project. And about six months into the year, I called Jake, who was at Georgetown at the time. And I said, I'm really excited about this potential coffee project. It's a healthy, better for you option. My teammates finally love it. I'm drinking it all the time. It gets you jacked up, makes you feel great. You know, do you want to maybe start this with me and work on it this summer? And Jake was like, hey, absolutely. There's a program that we can pitch in, a Georgetown summer launch program, if you want to drive down and compete. And again, this is just comes back to us being athletes and competitors. I said, hell yeah, I don't have a business plan, but let's do it. Right. So that week, I basically drove down from Philly to Georgetown. We pitched. And from there, I'll pass the mic to Jake. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, because, you know, putting protein into your coffee wasn't novel, right? Every one of our teammates probably was getting a nice coffee after their morning lifts and mixing their protein shake that you got forced on you right. as you left the weight room by your strength coach. 
or they were drinking it side by side with your Starbucks or whatever it was. But I think that action was our very first step as entrepreneurs. And I do think that correlated directly back to what Jim mentioned about our parents probably being running our household like it was a startup. <laughs> right. But then, you know, we started testing the product on our teammates, which was the best focus group we could ever have because we were making a product for ourselves. Right. When you were doing that, were you packaging it yourself or were you just like, I mean, how did you get it to your teammates? I'm just curious what this looked like in the early days when you're, yeah, you're right. mixing this shit in your dorm room and right. are you giving it to your teammates? Are you like giving it to them in a bowl or something? <laughs> Slurp this up? Recycled naked juice bottles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would call suppliers at right. some local plastics company and say, hey, I'm starting a company. Could you send me some samples? And they would send bottles of like 15, 20 at a time. Uh -huh. So I'd keep them under my bed, uh -huh. pull them out, fill them up on Sundays, and then have enough inventory for the week. Oh, that's interesting. Our first ever transaction, though, Mark, it's a great question. Jim was working on Wall Street, and his boss found out that his two little brothers had a coffee startup. He's like, oh, we love coffee. Everyone in the office loves coffee. So he made a case for Jim. We sent it up, and he paid us for it. But it was all recycled bottles that we had used. So the label on the top of the plastic bottle was clearly not sealed. <laughs> and his boss threw it away. He threw it away. He's like, no one's drinking this shit and getting sick from your bro. I didn't realize it was this janky. <laughs> so that's literally the state that we were at. But that was the first time anyone had paid us for the product. I love that. That's awesome. No one's drinking this shit. <laughs> yeah, but you got a first transaction though. That's cool. Totally. Yeah. I mean, the way that we got in, our first customer was Whole Foods Market. Right. We walked off campus. There was one uh, half a mile from Georgetown. And it was great because they had just started accepting the Georgetown dining dollars that summer. Mm -hmm. So we walked up with a horrible looking bottle that, again, was a recycled honest tea bottle this time, printed out a label in the business school. Jordan brewed up a batch in the dorm room blender. And we walked to the store manager, like literally walked in the front door, said, we make coffee. Here it is. Do you want some? And the guy was definitely questioning it. He was like, this doesn't look great. You know, <laughs> our pitch was like, Hey, you know, you guys accept the Georgetown dining dollars. Worst case scenario. He told us we could do a demo, which we didn't know what it was, but just demonstrate the product in the store. We're like, worst case scenario, we'll get some football players to come up and eat at your hot bar. Right. right? And you'll make 20 or 30 bucks. And that was our in, you know, that was how we got into Whole Foods, got set up as a local supplier. And then 12 weeks later, we came back with product. We went to the back door where we, he told us that's where we had to drop it off. And he scanned our purchase order and they're like, Hey, like this purchase order is not real. And we're like, no, no, like Mark set it up. It's real. Like this is it. And we went up and saw the guy. It wasn't, his name wasn't Mark. What the hell was his name? Derek. Derek. And we were like, what's up with this purchase order? The guy in the back saying it doesn't work. He's like, yeah, that's because it's expired. Put in a purchase order on Tuesday. You bring it on Thursday. You don't wait 12 weeks, <laughs> you don't wait 12 weeks to bring it. But that was like, literally, we had no clue, right? We had no clue, but we were figuring it out. And then that day we did a demo. We just kept selling product. We brought a ton of it with us. We sold and we sold and we sold. And after that first day, we came back the next day and we're like, how did we do? He's like, you guys sold 400 bottles yesterday. Oh, shit. And we're like, is that good? Is that bad? He's like, that's more coffee than I've ever sold in a month at this store. Wow. And people weren't buying it because the product was good, by the way. They're buying it because we were there begging and selling mm -hmm. them more on this vision of like what coffee could be, not right. necessarily what was in the bottle at that point in time. How'd you come up with Superfood uh, uh, name? Yeah. So super coffee. Super yeah. coffee. I mean, sorry. Super coffee. Initially, it was a description, right? Like, this is what this coffee does for you. This is coffee plus benefits, coffee plus function. Right. We knew that early on, it had to taste good. You know, it couldn't just be function. And so we combined flavor with function and we described it as super coffee. And because it's merely descriptive, you couldn't own the trademark. But after the first three years of business, our brand became so recognizable from sales and marketing materials right. that the USPTO actually granted us the trademark. So now the brand name is super coffee. 
Hey, we're going to take a short break here from the Mark Divine Show to hear a short message from one of our partners. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. And now back to the show. So you kind of bumbled your way to success. You know, what were some of the interesting challenges like, oh, shit, we're not sure the business is going to survive after this moment type challenges that you had in the early years? Yeah, I think, I mean, beverage is such a low margin, high volume game. And we didn't realize, but high volume is like $100 million in sales, you know, like, and we're- (laughs) In order to make it to squeak out a profit, right? Right, totally. Yeah. For going from that one store where we were doing a thousand bucks a week in sales, we're like, how are we going to do a hundred million of this? And I think that thought of like looking up at the top of the mountain saying, how the hell are we going to get there was always overwhelming. But how do you climb a mountain one step at a time? You know, and every year we chip away. We started out, we did a million dollars in sales. 5 million the next year, 26 million the next year. Nice. We went on Shark Tank, you know, and all of these things sort of compiled. And then you look up and you're like kind of halfway up that mountain. So I guess to answer your question, it was like, how are we going to get there? And there is no silver bullet. You know, you can't right. take a helicopter to the top of the mountain. You have to do the work to really get up there. And once we accepted that, this is simple business. It's just a grind. We put our heads down and we've grinded for the last six years. Right. Why didn't the Shark Tank invest? Why did they pass on you guys? So we were at the time, it was 2017, we did about a million in revenue. We were asking for a million dollar investment for 10% of the company. So $10 million valuation. Oh yeah. So it's valuation. Yeah. Yeah. What they said, I mean, Mark Cuban was like, look guys, I love you, love the energy. This might work, but there's a graveyard of billions of dollars of investments that have gone into beverages that never worked out. And I'm not prepared to be the guy who writes that next check. Right. They liked the product. They liked the proposition. They didn't like the odds. They were like, you guys. The the odds, you know, with three 20 something year old kids who've never built a business. Totally. Right. (laughs) You can see them going, I don't know about this one. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. They didn't realize how tenacious you were. (laughs) Right. That's the X factor. Yeah. Talk about um, the role of mentors in helping you. You know, I imagine you build a board and had advisors early on. Who are some like pivotal mentors who gave you like a key sage piece of advice that was instrumental in success? Yeah, I think this has been critical for us and highly advise any entrepreneur starting out to surround yourself with the best possible people for the lowest possible cost out of the gate. Our first, we happen to be very lucky, and it was strategic on our part, but Seth Goldman, he was the founder of Honest Tea, so very similar. He basically did to Snapple in the late 90s what we were trying to do to Starbucks in the mid-2015. He was actually based right about 20 minutes north of Georgetown University, where we were launching the business. So I reached out to Seth. We got an introduction through somebody at Georgetown. He responded immediately, and he said, hey, guys, this is amazing what you're doing. I love this. How about you start by reading my book? And he had wrote a book about a story called Mission in a Bottle. Mm-hmm. Of course, we read it cover to cover probably 20 times. <laughs> we made a pact to ourselves that no matter what we could do going forward, we always wanted to give Seth an update. If Seth was speaking somewhere, we wanted to be there and hear him live. We wanted to wait for him <clears throat> like he was a celebrity afterward and talk to him, get on phone calls with him and just ask him as many questions as possible. And what that ended up doing, one, Seth had a lot of respect for us. 
but he started opening up his network to us right. and people that helped him and gave back to him. Some of them looked at it as an opportunity. A lot of them were our first investors. Some of them are just friends today and advisors. Seth still to this day, we jump on the phone with him. He helps us out. We're at a spot now where he was when he sold Honesty to Coca-Cola. Is that right? So okay. he's seen us, you know, the same stages we followed that he took, which have worked well for us. And we try to do the same thing for entrepreneurs starting out. And we always say, hey, read this book first because it was incredibly helpful for us. Oh, that's kind of cool. I like that. All right. Who else? Anybody else? You got to have more than one mentor. Yeah. I think coaches along the way, there's a gentleman on our board called Tyler Ricks. He was a marketing executive at Pepsi. Then he also launched a couple startups, Bare Naked Granola, right. Plum Baby Food. So he's got that rare big company experience and also like the scrappy startup vibe. And He's been instrumental in keeping us focused. You know, inch wide, mile deep is one of his mm-hmm. reminders to us. And what he means is like support where you can support. And I think a lot of young brands in the food and beverage space, especially, get tempted to say yes to a purchase order at Ralph's in California and Wegmans in New York, Publix down in Florida. And then before you know it, you're spread out all across the country without a concentration of loyal customers. And it's really hard to be successful in an industry that's dominated by Coke and Pepsi and Nestle that have these multi-million dollar marketing budgets. So that advice from Tyler was always a humbling reminder to stay focused where we were. Yeah. Yeah. One more quick one. The mentor is less important, but his messages were always super helpful. Uh, He's one of our distributors and he handles New York City and Long Island, the most competitive beverage geo in in the country. Right. A guy named Jerry Rita, been the COO there for 30 years. He's a multimillionaire. He built brands like Vitamin Water and Monster, tons of successful billion-dollar exits. And one thing that Jerry taught us is the idea of you compete the same way you competed when you played football. Mm-hmm. And you got to want to win the same way you wanted to win when you were playing sports growing up. And all the big flashy stuff and the brilliant words of Jerry Rita doesn't fucking matter. Mm-hmm. you got to go out and got to want it more than the people that you compete with every day. Mm-hmm. There's only so much shelf space. Consumers only buying so many items. You got to be there at the point of purchase, physically wanting it more than the other folks that want to be on those shelves, mm-hmm. which is a really good guiding light for an entrepreneur because there is a time where you go from being on the grounds and the ones that are stacking shelves to taking on some investors' money and, and making decisions of how to spend that money. The answer, and what Jerry would always say, is spend it as close to the customer and in those four walls of the grocery store yeah. as possible. And that was a really good guiding light for us. Be there, compete, and never forget about your customer at the end of the day. Yeah. And that is certainly wise advice. Yeah, that one's critical, Mark, too. And I'll just say, like, make sure, you know, we wanted to make sure we were talking to believable people in the space, people who had success time and time again. And when we talked to as many people as we possibly could, we saw the patterns emerge, right? All the smart, successful people had the same type of patterns in the industry. And those patterns became our guardrails or our roadmap. And we knew that we were going to put in the work. We knew we were going to do everything that it took. But with those guardrails, then we could be successful. But again, we weren't just taking advice from anybody, right? It had to be people who had that experience, who achieved what we wanted to achieve. And that was critical for us on our journey. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Now, you know, multi-billion dollar entrenched competitors don't love it when they see, you know, an upstart like Super Coffee come along. They can, you know, pull some kind of dick maneuvers. What's the worst thing that happened to you from one of your competitors to try to like thwart your progress? This one just happened recently. So I don't know if this is the worst one, but it pisses me off. We're only sold in America right now. We got a lot to focus on here in the US, but obviously internationally, Super Coffee could be a massive company. And that's our aspiration over the next three to five years. Our lawyer reached out to us a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, 
you know, we don't have the super coffee trademark in Canada. Somebody just applied for it. I'm like, oh, great. Somebody's trying to rip us off. And come to find out, it's Monster Energy. Get Monster out of here. For, <laughs> for the super coffee trademark in every country that we're not in. And their whole MO is once we're ready to launch in Canada, they're going to license our name back to us. It's get out of here. Bullshit, <laughs> man, it's such a racket. And they're known to do that. So, I mean, obviously, we're challenging everything, but it's nice to have copycats. You know, it's kind of flattering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's an extreme example. That's not a copycat, Jim. That's just a dick maneuver. You know what I mean? That's a dick maneuver, like you said, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For us, shelf space is the most precious thing, right? Like right. we're bought in retail and you go in and you know, you have the petty beverage fights where you go in one week, you're selling great, and you come back the following week and Mark's super coffee gave them free product to take your space. Right. And that happens time and time again. So that's just like a daily battle that our team fights. Yeah, I bet. Have all the big brands introduced kind of knockoffs? No, I mean, nothing directly, which is honestly surprising. Until Super Coffee, bottled coffee was just coffee with milk and sugar. You know, that's what Starbucks is. That's what Dunkin' is. Brands are continuing to innovate with coffee with milk and sugar. Plant-based is a big trend with things like oat milk. People are putting adaptogenic ingredients into coffee, CBD Mm -hmm. and coffee in some cases. But for us, we want it to be functional and flavorful in a way that appeals to the masses. We say it all the time. We're building a brand more for Walmart than for Whole Foods. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think you see a lot of niche brands going to Whole Foods that are great. Stuff that I love, you know, the bulletproof coffees of the world, the rebel coffees with the roots in the mushrooms and things like that. But it just doesn't appeal to the mainstream customer who's buying their groceries at Walmart in the middle of the country. Right. Bang Energy did launch an exact replica of our products though, called Bang Keto Coffee. Who has? Bang Energy. You know that Bang. crazy CEO, yeah, Jack Owak? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was one that was a direct ripoff of the Super Coffee brand. Who's behind that again, Bang? A guy named Jack Owak. Man, you got to follow him on Instagram. Just go to Bang CEO. It's a, it is a riot to watch that. <laughs> Jack Owak. Are you positioning – I mean, I probably should know this because it sounds like you keep talking about coffee, but you could position as a coffee drink, you could position as an energy drink or a protein drink because you're all three. So how do you deal with that kind of category confusion? I mean, it's part of our value proposition too, right? I think we saw these categories merging, you know, six years ago. You know, it was an assumption that that would continue to happen. People want more multifunctional products in their portfolio because to Jake's point, before Super Coffee, people were leaving their workouts. They would have a protein shake in their right hand, a coffee in their left hand, or an energy drink in their left hand. We wanted to just make it more convenient and taste better at an affordable price point. So when we look at the data today, we are truly solving that problem and that need for customers at a mainstream level. And we want to continue to do that. But simultaneously, we also want to expand to beyond just our core super coffee product line, right? We want to play in adjacent categories like energy drinks, pods and grounds so people can make their own at home. We have creamers now, which are sugar-free and enhanced with protein. So we want to give people more consumption occasions, meet them where they are versus just trying to give them a one-size-fits-all product and expect them to only drink that. So right. we have evolved the portfolio quite a bit, but our core super coffee, the one that started in the dorm room, is our most beloved product because it addresses the most problems and needs for our customers. Right, that's cool. So for aspiring entrepreneurs listening to this, what was the hardest part about going from zero to five million, then the hardest part from going from five to 50 million, and then the hardest part from going to 50 to 500 million in value. Well, I don't know what your revenue is today, but I know your valuation is around 500. So over 100 million, I should say, probably. Yeah, I think the hardest part about what we like to say, I was a Peter Thiel fellow, zero to A, 
is literally just breaking through and getting off the ground. And a lot of that is really hard manual labor. Boots on the ground. You're out there talking to people. Boots on the ground. Showing them the product. Yep. You don't have any resources or any capital. You got to figure out a way to make an MVP product, a minimum viable product to get feedback on, to get revenue in the door, to raise capital. And then you got to go out and build your business really just with your own blood, sweat, and tears. And that's how you get to 5 million. That is how you get to 5 million in sales. There's no silver bullet there. It's 20 hour work days. We are doing our own manufacturing, distribution, and sales and marketing. And that's how we learned the business. Wow. I would say five to 50 is momentum. Hey guys, we're onto something. It's working in these small geographies with your money. We can do this on a national level and we need that fuel to keep growing. Time is of the essence. So it's raising money and using that money in sales, marketing, and distribution. Scaling what's working. Yeah. Building out the team, building out distribution. What do you think? 50 to 500? I want to come back to that, by the way, Jimmy, just talk about the perils and pitfalls of raising money, you know, for a consumer product business. But all right, go ahead. Let's see. The 50 to 500 is all about investing in your people. Okay. Wow. Building a great team. Right. It's a big shift, you know, because you go from being the doers to being the leaders. Right. Rather than taking care of the business needs every day, you need to take care of your people so that they can take care of the business. Yeah. I think that is a huge shift and probably where a lot of entrepreneurs probably make the mistake and never take that step to being a national brand and going beyond that. They can't get their head out of you know focusing on how can I contribute versus how can I create a culture that allows others to contribute. Okay, we're going to take a short break here from the Mark Devine Show to hear a short message from one of our partners. Hurry into Ram Power Days and experience the raw power of the Ram 3500 with available best-in-class torque and towing among 350-3500 pickups when properly equipped. Strap yourself in for one powerful ride in the Ram TRX with the most horsepower of any gas pickup ever built. Or the Ram 1500, awarded number one in driver appeal among light-duty pickups by J.D. Power three years in a row. Hurry into Ram Power Days going on now. For J.D. Power 2022 U.S. award information, visit jdpower.com awards. And now back to the show. Excellent job kind of summarizing what the key challenges are for those different stages of growth. I mean, man, you just nailed it. But coming back to this culture, like that is hard, hard work too. And so what strategies or support did you guys leverage to learn how to really build an outstanding culture so that everyone wakes up every day fired up to be part of Super Coffee and to meet your mission? Yeah. So I think the important thing, right, is culture happens. If it's intentional or not, culture happens. And usually it starts as an extension of the founders or really an extension, we joke, from our parents, right, and our childhood and who we are. Right. But then at a certain point, you know, Jake mentioned it, you start building that team, you better get intentional about your culture. You better start defining it, how you want to be when you grow up, right? So we like to think of, you know, our culture as our collective personality as a company. And we set some pretty clear guardrails, what our purpose is, what our mission is, what our vision is, what our values are. And our values actually are probably our claim to fame internally, which we call our coach values, Mm -hmm. funny enough. And they stand for curiosity, optimism, ambition, compassion, and humility. And everybody needs to live up to those values. And we need to hold each other accountable to those values. You know, you have to be clear about it. But you also need to be really disciplined and stern about it too with your hiring practices, really, because you're trying to hire great people who are already a great culture fit and then make them better. And then also, if you do have bad hires, which everybody does, 
you need to act quickly and get them out of the organization as well. Right. So protecting the culture is critical. So once you set those guardrails and boundaries, one is leaders, you need to model them every day. They need to be real. They need to be authentic. Can't just put the values up on the wall, right? right. You got to model them. You need to enforce them. Yeah. And again, we like to give our people the benefit of the doubt, but we really model the servant leadership style where we're serving people first and helping them grow and evolve as people. Well, not only enforce, but to reward. So what are some of the things that you do to reward adherence to the coach values? By the way, I love those values. I love that you said that values can't just be a plaque on the wall. They've got to be lived and habituated and to be essentially like virtues of, that everyone embodies. But so how do you reward that kind of behavior? Totally, especially in a remote culture, right? You have to be crystal clear on those values. And the nice thing is when you are clear about those values, you attract people who believe in the same things that you do, which is exciting. And for us, how we reward it, every manager is responsible for conducting quarterly performance reviews and every direct report is measured against one of those values. How did this coach display the value of curiosity in the prior quarter? Oh, cool. Optimism, ambition, compassion. For the most part, those are table stakes, right? If you're not exhibiting those values in your day-to-day life, this is probably not the place for you to begin with, but providing that coaching along the way saying, hey, you're doing great here. Your optimism's awesome, but your humility, you took credit for something you should have passed on to. I think not only rewarding that, but also we have shining stars. And just last week, we flew in our 2021 coaches of the year into our headquarters in Austin. We had guest speakers, we had workouts, we did cold plunges. Nice. That was 20 people from our 150 person full-time team that got to come and experience that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the big stuff, right? The quarterly reviews, frequent feedback, and then the big rewards. I think the stuff that we do on a day-to-day basis, we accidentally leaned into before we even had coach. Every team call we have, we reserve the last five to 10 minutes for gratitude. And gratitude is just shout outs for one another. Mark had a kick-ass podcast today. Gordon did an awesome job giving Jim a shout out. Yeah. That gratitude at the end, a lot of time it's giving folks a shout out that scored the basket or had an assist. But a lot of time it's like, hey, I got a coach shout out because Jordan did an awesome job exemplifying the H in coach. And he actually gave a shout out to the operations manager, even though he was the one that had a great meeting with our supply chain team. So I think that gratitude ingrained into our culture is something that has fed you know those coach values and recognition. And also the feedback piece to Jim's point is super important part of the cycle. I love it. And gratitude is a force multiplier. You know, it creates such a cohesive, positive environment. The fact that you build that into your team meetings is really powerful. Uh, good job on that. Well, you guys should take the coach model and write a book. What do you think? <laughs> That'd be awesome, man. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to learn from you. Yeah, coach man. Coach Code. We love it. That'd be a great title, too. Yeah, or maybe wait for 10 years so people take you seriously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The book's still being written. It's yeah, being written. Yeah. That's right. You don't want to write it before it's time. It's got to be seasoned. Yeah. <laughs> so what is your vision? You know, because you could sell the company tomorrow. And do you guys have an ESOP where employees have a part of the upside? Yes, sir. Every single one of our employees is an owner and that incentivizes teamwork rather than individual contributors. Right, right. So what's the vision? You know, you're not waiting to flip this thing. Obviously, you've got a big vision. Yeah, I think we saw a little problem in our lives, which is actually a big problem. That's America's food system. America's food paradigm is broken. There's too much sugar. There's too many calories in the food products that we consume by the masses. And we think that food doesn't have to be bad for you to taste good, right? (laughs) We think food can taste good. Food and beverages can taste good and be good for you, right? It's flavor and function, like we said a minute ago. And with that, we want to be on the beginning of inspiring other entrepreneurs and other brands to do this in their categories, not just in America, but then take it internationally. Like I said, we're only in the US today. 
the next five years, we plan to expand globally and continue to make that impact on more people. That's awesome. So you're going to hang on and build a billion-dollar brand? Multi-billion, Mark. <laughs> Multi-billion-dollar brand and change a lot of people's lives in the process. I couldn't believe that the FDA would not change their sugar recommendations last year after, you know, literally everybody saying, guys, you know, this is not healthy. We're hurting our culture. And they wouldn't change it. Yeah. Totally. Well, what's crazy about it is that Starbucks Frappuccino, there's a, is more sugar in one Frappuccino than an adult man should consume in a day. And people are drinking it. They're drinking two or three of them. Insane. It's crazy. It is crazy. And then they did the sugar tax in a lot of cities. They tried to institute that, but it turned into a, a sweet tax. So we're zero sugar. And based on some of our sweeteners, like monk fruit, we at zero sugar, no artificial sweeteners, we're getting drilled for the same amount of sugar tax really? as Fanta soda. Yeah. Good God. Even though that we were zero and nothing artificial. So it just shows how big sugar has their hands all over the legislation. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, you know, it's education and the more people that get educated, then they vote with their mouths. Exactly right. That's how it's going to change. You can't, you know, I've said this a lot of times, I'm big on changing people's mindsets and scaling consciousness and awareness and people making better decisions. You're doing it through a product and through your educational campaigns. I'm doing it through this podcast, my books and training programs. And it's an exciting time to be in business and to be alive because we're at the cusp of scaling awareness around healthy living, the importance of being inclusive and connecting and to appreciate the sameness in all of humanity as opposed to being separate. I think we're at a place, I don't know if you guys agree, where people are kind of fed up with that bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Because we know that humans are better. We've got more to give and we can live on like a human paradise if we just choose to, if enough people choose to. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And, totally. and Mark, you nailed it, man. Like you're a part of the solution, right? You're doing the work on this podcast, sharing that consciousness. And I think now is an exciting time more than ever because this media, this education is available for free. That's right. It's on people's phones. It's on Instagram. It's on social media. It's everywhere. Yeah. And me and I were laughing. Like when we went to Colgate, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have computers. We didn't have phones. We had nothing. Right. Except each other. You know what I mean? We're like, <laughs> so we spent a lot of time outside. We spent a lot of time playing sports and we were no different than you guys. We just didn't have access to all the information all the time at our fingertips. And so you had to build a business mano a mano, one person at a time. Now you can reach millions of people through social media and through different campaigns. So it's extraordinary. And you know, to build a business like you have, how many years? Six years? Six years. Have you yeah. been doing it? Still building. That's insane, right? It's, it's really cool to see the ability to build a unicorn like that in three to 10 years. Right. Yeah. So great work, man. I'm so inspired by you guys. And I know you're going to just continue doing it. And the fact that you're working together in harmony as brothers, what a great role model that is for families and for brothers. Now, are you guys uh, married and kids at all yet? Or are you too busy for that? I Changes? got engaged. Yeah, I got engaged a few weeks ago. And I'm, I'm Congratulations. The, I'm the most brave, I would say. In that <laughs> That's pretty brave. Yeah. No, it's cool. Jake's fiance has got to be a part of this journey for the last couple of years. And okay, good. You understand the sacrifices that, that partners make oh, yeah. in these situations and it's family, it's teamwork. And I think that that is honestly, that's what, what makes this thing special is we have each other's backs, whether this thing works or not. Yeah, that's awesome. You're crushing it. So congratulations. And thank you so much for your time on this podcast. So it's really been a lot of fun and very interesting. And I think people who are really interested in healthy, uh, living and love coffee and they haven't tried super coffee, they need to go out and get some. Also, I love your message and your desire to really educate people. So what's the best platform that you guys have for the educational piece or for how people can engage with some of your cause uh, marketing and whatnot? 
Yeah, I think LinkedIn is probably the most educational. We're often sharing PR and press around the battle against sugar. We're starting an organization that's called an Alliance to Control Excessive Sugar, where it's brands like us. The acronym is going to be ACES. Right. Seven brands in this inaugural launch. We're launching that tomorrow, actually. Together, we're, we're removing over 10 million pounds of sugar from America's diet this month. Nice. Yeah, I think LinkedIn is probably the most shareable and then Instagram for a bit more fun content. And what about, do you guys do any personal engagement? If anyone want to reach out, let's say uh, an attractive woman wanted to reach out to you, Jim. (laughs) Instagram as well. (laughs) And it's a good place for us to connect with folks too. I think DMs on Instagram have honestly become a place where you can build community. It's just there on our phone so much. It's not like an email that goes into the inbox. We all tend (laughs) to see your Instagram notifications, right? So we're all on Instagram, first name, last name. Um, We'd love to connect with your audience. That's awesome. All right, guys. Uh, once again, thanks very much. I appreciate your time. Keep doing what you're doing, and um, I'll be looking out for you and support you in any way we can. You're the man, yeah, Mark. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. Thanks, Mark. Hoo ya. Hoo ya, brother. <laughs> Stay safe. What a great episode. I love those guys. What tremendous energy they had. Super positive, all very growth oriented. Great relationship. It was fun to see how they were as brothers the way they honored their parents and learned so much from their parents as well as from athletics. Really interesting. Um, great to learn about the origin story of Jordan mixing up protein with his coffee before his early morning basketball workouts. Also how the role of mentors really impacted them and going deep and learning from a few mentors who had a profound impact on the decisions they made and also the challenges that they had to overcome at each stage of business from zero to five, five to 15, 50 to 100 million and more in business. Super interesting episode. If you have any interest in entrepreneurship or scaling business, you're definitely going to want to catch this. And I thank the DeSeco brothers for being on the show. And I thank you for listening. Booyah. Show notes and transcripts are up on our site at markdevine.com. Video will be up on YouTube channel. And you can reach out to me on Twitter at markdevine or on Instagram and Facebook at Real Mark Divine, and you can always hit me up on my LinkedIn profile. Divine Inspiration, my new newsletter is coming out soon. It'll be weekly content, inspirational in nature, habits, things that I've come across that I find inspiring or interesting. It's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you join me. And if you're not on my email list, please go to markdivine.com and subscribe. Thank you very much to my special team, Jason Sanders and Jeff Haskell, Michelle Zarnack, and Amy Jerkowitz. Uh, without whom I couldn't produce this podcast. There's a ton of work that goes into lining up these great guests and producing the show every week. So thanks very much, team. Uh, Reviews are very, very helpful. We have over a 1,000 five-star reviews over at Apple. My goal is to get 5,000 this year. Help me out. It helps other people find the show and gives us a lot of credibility. So I have the motivation to continue doing this. So go and review it and also share the episode if you find it valuable. Well, it's 2022. And the world's not getting any slower or less challenging. It is up to us to do the work, to train our minds, to integrate, to be good people, to be more compassionate, more world-centric, greater perspective, more inclusive. It starts with us. It starts with how we organize our thoughts, how we organize our day, the people in our lives. Uh, We got to do the work. So I trust you that you're doing your work. Part of that is listening to this episode, listening to this podcast, and paying it forward through how you show up with other people. So thanks for doing that and uh, continue on. Until next week, hoo-yah, be unbeatable. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.